0: Chapter Four: Moses in Egypt, Part Six, of The Legends of the Jews, Volume Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Kirsten Ferreri. The Legends of the Jews, Volume Two, by Rabbi Louis Ginsburg. Moses marries Zipporah. One of the seven maidens, whom Moses saw at the well, attracted his notice in particular, on account of her modest demeanour, and he made her a proposal of marriage. But Zipporah repulsed him, saying, My father has a tree in his garden with which he tests every man that expresses a desire to marry one of his daughters, and as soon as the suitor touches the tree he is devoured by it. Moses, whence has he the tree? Zipporah, it is the rod that the Holy One, blessed be he, "'created in the twilight of the first Sabbath-eve, "'and gave to Adam. "'He transmitted it to Enoch, from him it descended to Noah, "'then to Shem, and Abraham, and Isaac, and finally to Jacob, "'who brought it with him to Egypt, and gave it to his son Joseph. "'When Joseph died, the Egyptians pillaged his house, "'and the rod which was in their booty they brought to Pharaoh's palace. "'At that time my father was one of the most prominent of the king's sacred scribes, "'and as such he had the opportunity of seeing the rod.' He felt a great desire to possess it, and he stole it, and took it to his house. On this rod the ineffable name is Graven, and also the ten plagues that God will cause to visit the Egyptians in a future day. For many years it lay in my father's house, and one day he was walking in his garden carrying it, and he stuck it in the ground. When he attempted to draw it out again, he found that it had sprouted, and was putting forth blossoms. That is the rod with which he tries any that desire to marry his daughters. He insists that our suitors shall attempt to pull it out of the ground, but as soon as they touch it, it devours them. Having given him this account of her father's rod, Zipporah went home, accompanied by her sisters, and Moses followed them. Jethro was not a little amazed to see his daughters return so soon from the watering-troughs. As a rule, the chicanery they had to suffer from the shepherds detained them until late— No sooner had he heard their report about the wonder-working Egyptian than he exclaimed, "'Mayhap he is one of the descendants of Abraham, from whom issueth blessing for the whole world.' He rebuked his daughters for not having invited the stranger that had done them so valuable a service to come into their house, and he ordered them to fetch him, in the hope that he would take one of his daughters to wife. Moses had been standing without all this time, and had allowed Jethro's daughters to describe him as an Egyptian, without protesting and asserting his Hebrew birth." For this God punished him, and caused him to die outside of the promised land. Joseph, who had proclaimed in public that he was a Hebrew, found his last resting place in the land of the Hebrews, and Moses, who apparently had no objection to being considered an Egyptian, had to live and die outside of that land. Zipporah hastened forth to execute her father's wish, and no sooner had she ushered him in than Moses requested her hand in marriage. Jethro replied, If thou canst bring me the rod in my garden, I will give her to thee. Moses went out, found the sapphire rod that God had bestowed on Adam when he was driven forth from paradise, the rod that had reached Jethro after manifold vicissitudes, and which he had planted in the garden. Moses uprooted it and carried it to Jethro, who conceived the idea at once that he was the prophet in Israel, concerning whom all the wise men of Egypt had foretold, that he would destroy their land and its inhabitants. As soon as this thought struck him, he seized Moses and threw him into a pit, in the expectation that he would meet with death there and indeed he would have perished, if Zipporah had not devised a stratagem to save his life. She said to her father, "'Would it were thy will to hearken unto my counsel? Thou hast no wife, but only seven daughters. Dost thou desire my six sisters to preside over thy household? Then I shall go with the sheep. If not, let my sisters tend the flocks, and I shall take care of the house.' Her father said, "'Thou hast spoken well.' the six sisters shall go forth with the sheep and thou shalt abide in the house and take care of it and all that belongeth to me therein now zipporah could provide moses with all sorts of dainties as he lay in the pit and she did it for the space of seven years at the end of this period she said to her father i recollect that once upon a time thou didst cast into yonder pit a man that had fetched thy rod from the garden for thee and thou didst commit a great trespass thereby If it seemeth well to thee uncover the pit and look into it if the man is dead throw his corpse away lest it fill the house with stench but should he be alive then thou oughtest to be convinced that he is one of those who are wholly pious else he had died of hunger the reply of jethro was thou hast spoken wisely dost thou remember his name and tipporah rejoined i remember he called himself moses the son of amram jethro lost no time he opened the pit, and called out, Moses! Moses! Moses replied, and said, Here am I. Jethro drew him up out of the pit, kissed him, and said, Blessed be God, who guarded thee for seven years in the pit. I acknowledge that he slayeth and reviveth, that thou art one of the holy pious, that through thee God will destroy Egypt in the time to come, lead his people out of the land, and drown Pharaoh and his whole army in the sea. Thereupon, Jethro gave much money to Moses, and he bestowed his daughter Zipporah on him as a wife, giving her to him, on condition that the children born of the marriage in Jethro's house should be divided in two equal classes, the one to be Israelitish, the other Egyptian. When Zipporah bore him a son, Moses circumcised him and called him Gershom, as a memorial of the wonder God had done for him, for although he lived in a strange land, the Lord had not refused him aid even there zipporah nursed her first child for two years and in the third year she bore a second son remembering his compact with jethro moses realized that his father-in-law would not permit him to circumcise this one too and he determined to return to egypt that he might have the opportunity of bringing up his second son as an israelite on the journey thither satan appeared to him in the guise of a serpent and swallowed moses down to his extremities Zipporah knew by this token that the thing had happened because her second son had not been circumcised, and she hastened to make good the omission. As soon as she sprinkled the blood of the circumcision on her husband's feet, a heavenly voice was heard to cry out to the serpent, commanding him, "'Spew him out!' And Moses came forth, and stood upon his feet. Thus Zipporah saved Moses's life twice, first from the pit, and then from the serpent." When Moses arrived in Egypt, he was approached by Dathan and Nabiram, the leaders of the Israelites, and they spake, Comest thou hither to slay us, or dost thou purpose to do the same with us as thou didst with the Egyptian? This drove Moses straightway back to Midian, and there he remained two years more, until God revealed himself at Horeb, and said to him, Go, and bring forth my children out of the land of Egypt. The Legends of the Jews, Volume 2 by Rabbi Lewis Ginsberg A Bloody Remedy the latter years of Israel's bondage in Egypt were the worst. To punish Pharaoh for his cruelty toward the children of Israel, God afflicted him with a plague of leprosy, which covered his whole body, from the crown of his head to the soles of his feet. Instead of being chastened by his disease, Pharaoh remained stiff-necked, and he tried to restore his health by murdering Israel his children. He took counsel with his three advisers, Balaam, Jethro, and Job, how he might be healed of the awful malady that had seized upon him. Balaam spoke, saying, Thou canst regain thy health only if thou wilt slaughter Israelitish children and bathe thy blood. Jethro, averse from having a share in such an atrocity, left the king and fled to Midian. Job, on the other hand, though he also disapproved of Balaam's counsel, kept silence, and in no wise protested against it, wherefore God punished him with a year's suffering. But afterward he loaded him down with all the felicities of this life— and granted him many years, so that this pious Gentile might be rewarded in this world for his good deeds, and not have the right to urge a claim upon the beatitude of the future life. In pursuance of the sanguinary advice given by Balaam, Pharaoh had his bailiffs snatch Israelitish babes from their mother's breasts, and slaughter them, and in the babe of these innocents he bathed. His disease afflicted him for ten years, and every day an Israelitish child was killed for him. It was all in vain. Indeed, at the end of this time his leprosy changed into boils, and he suffered more than before. While he was in this agony, the report was brought to him that the children of Israel in Goshen were careless and idle in their forced labor. The news aggravated his suffering, and he said, "'Now that I am ill, they turn and scoff at me. Harness my chariot, and I will betake myself to Goshen and see the derision wherewith the children of Israel deride me.' And they took and put him upon a horse, for he was not able to mount it himself." When he and his men had come to the border between Egypt and Goshen, the king's steed passed into a narrow place. The other horses, running rapidly through the pass, pressed upon each other until the king's horse fell while he sat upon it, and when it fell, the chariot turned over on his face, and also the horse lay upon him. The king's flesh was torn from him, for this thing was from the Lord. He had heard the cries of his people in their affliction. The king's servants carried him upon their shoulders, brought him back to Egypt, and placed him on his bed. He knew that his end was come to die, and the queen Alpharanit and his nobles gathered around his bed, and they wept a great weeping with him. The princes and his counsellors advised the king to make choice of a successor to reign in his stead, whomsoever he would choose from among his sons. He had three sons and two daughters by the queen Alpharanit, beside children from concubines. The name of his first-born was Atro, the name of the second Adikam, and of the third Morian. The name of the older daughter was Bethia and of the other Akuzit, The firstborn of the sons of the king was an idiot, precipitate and heedless in all his actions. Adikam the second son was a cunning and clever man, and versed in all the wisdom of Egypt, but ungainly in appearance, fleshy and short of stature. His height was a cubit in a space, and his beard flowed down to his ankles. The king resolved that Adikam should reign in his stead after his death. When the second son of his was But ten years old he had given him Gedida, the daughter of Abilat, to wife, and she bore him four sons. Afterward Adikam went and took three other wives, and begot eight sons and three daughters. The king's malady increased upon him greatly, and his flesh emitted a stench like a carcass cast into the field in summer-time in the heat of the sun. When he saw that his disorder, bad, seized upon him with a strong grip, he commanded his son Adikam to be brought to him, and they made him king over the land in his place. At the end of three years the old king died in shame and disgrace, a loathing to all that saw him, and they buried him in the sepulchre of the kings of Egypt in Zoan, But they did not embalm him as was usual with kings, for his flesh was putrid, and they could not approach his body on account of the stench, and they buried him with haste. Thus the Lord requited him with evil, for the evil he had done in his days to Israel, and he died in terror and shame, after having reigned ninety-four years." Adikam was twenty years old when he succeeded his father, and he reigned four years. The people of Egypt called him Pharaoh, as was their custom with all their kings, but his wise men called him Akuz, for Akuz is the word for short in the Egyptian language, and Adikam was exceedingly awkward and undersized. The new Pharaoh surpassed his father Malol and all the former kings in wickedness, and he made heavier the yoke upon the children of Israel. He went to Goshen with his servants, and increased their labour, and he said unto them, Complete your work, each day's task, and let not your hands slacken from the work from this day forward, as you did in the days of my father. He placed officers over them from amongst the children of Israel, and over these officers he placed taskmasters from among his servants. And he put before them a measure for bricks, according to the number they were to make day by day. And whenever any deficiency was discovered in the measure of their daily bricks, the taskmasters of Pharaoh would go to the women of the children of israel and take their infants from them as many as the number of bricks lacking in the measure and these babes they put into the building instead of the missing bricks the taskmasters forced each man of the israelites to put his own child in the building the father would place his son in the wall and cover him over with mortar all the while weeping his tears running down upon his child the children of israel sighed every day on account of their dire suffering For they had thought that after Pharaoh's death his son would lighten their toil. But the new king was worse than his father. And God saw the burden of the children of Israel, and their heavy work, and he determined to deliver them. However, it was not for their own sake that God resolved upon the deliverance of the children of Israel, for they were empty of good deeds. And the Lord foreknew that once they were redeemed they would rise up against him, and even worship the golden calf. Yet he took mercy upon them. For he remembered his covenant with the fathers, and he looked upon their repentance for their sins, and accepted their promise, to fulfill the word of God after their going forth from Egypt, even before they should hear it. After all, the children of Israel were not wholly without merits. In a high degree they possessed qualities of extraordinary excellence. There were no incestuous relations among them, they were not evil-tongued, they did not change their names, they clung to the Hebrew language, never giving it up, and great fraternal affection prevailed among them if one happened to finish the tale of his bricks before his neighbors he was in the habit of helping the others therefore god spake they deserve that i should have mercy upon them for if a man shows mercy unto another i have mercy upon him end of chapter 4 part 6